All right, open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to pick up our journey through the Advent season with one sentence from Jesus' life. That's primarily what we're going to focus on. So don't automatically think, oh, right, pastor's going to be real short now, because you know pastors can go with one sentence, right? But there's one sentence of Jesus' life that just embodies what I think this third week of Advent is supposed to be about. And what Travis and Hannah just communicated, did you catch that key phrase that Hannah brought up? When we put our eyes on Jesus and got it off ourselves and our circumstances, there was a shift of a joyful experience. And it looks like we've got a lot going on with the lights today. So it looks like it's just one of those. Mary, we got any ideas of what's going on? Overheating lights today. So... Well, you'll love this story. Right before, uh, right before I start a service, Kyle back on the soundboard, which let's put our hands together for our tech crew. They bust their tails every week. You guys are awesome. You're awesome even when the lights are doing whatever they're doing and when sound doesn't always work. We, just, we appreciate you. We love you. We know that all this stuff doesn't happen without you guys. They get here like when it's dark outside really early in the mornings on Sunday. But Kyle tells me right before service, he says, hey, Eric, I came in and updated the board this week. He says you were six firmware versions old on the soundboard. I said, Kyle, I think that's how some people feel about my sermons some Sundays. Like six firmware versions back. And I looked at him, I said, I think that means this morning's message is going to be like six times better, right? Six times Holy Spirit power. We got six times upgrade going on back here. So hopefully the sound is that much better. But with the lights, just endure with us as you go in and out of darkness and light. Let's just treat it as a part of the Advent season, right? You've been brought from darkness into light every time it flashes its greatness. But here's the line from Jesus. We're going to look at two observations of what Advent joy, what Jesus joy, what biblical joy is really all about. John 15, verse 11, Jesus says, I have told you this. Now, a little context here. I have told you this. This is Jesus in the middle of his upper room discourse. This is the longest teaching of Jesus stretch. So if you open up your Bibles and you see all the way through John 14, 15, 16, lots of words of red. He's having a lengthy conversation at the Last Supper explaining to them about what's to unfold that's going to be really, really difficult for them. So in particular, he's talking about the vine and the branches and how important it is for them to abide in the true vine, that they're the branch and the life of the branch flows from the vine and they're to bear much fruit and they're to obey his commands and they're to love one another. This is the I told you this. Jesus is on a roll and he's talking about a lot of things related to practice practical Christian living, and now he's going to bring up the subject of joy, saying, hey, I've told you this so that, I want you to underline three phrases now in this verse in your Bible. Underline my joy may be underlined in you, and that your joy, underline your joy, may be complete. So I want you to see, Jesus says, my joy, look at the bridge from my joy, Jesus says, to your joy. Do you see the name of that bridge? It's called in you. Anybody need an encouragement? I'm so encouraged when I read this. Jesus says, hey, my joy is going to be in you, and that's the pathway through which your joy is complete. So here's a first observation I hear from Jesus on this text, is that joy is a gift to be received, not a virtue to be achieved. Are you tracking with me? Joy is something you receive. That's gospel joy. 
That's good news joy. That's Jesus joy. Anybody encouraged by this thought that that's a joy that's independent of whatever's going on in my life right now? That's circumstance-independent joy. That's a joy that Travis and Hannah Bryant can experience when their face down in their living room going, God, I don't know how many more yeses we can say. We're saying yes now. And Hannah can say as we put our eyes on Jesus, what did she taste? She tasted his joy, not circumstantial joy. How much fun is it to be matched how many times, to have the rug pulled out from under you and disappointment and heartache? That's not the joy Jesus is talking about. That's circumstance joy. And we can all think in our lives when we just focus on ourselves and what's going on in our immediate circle around us, or if you want to lift it up a little bit farther and just kind of look across the landscape of our world, the headlines that scroll along, there's not a lot of... There's plenty to get us discouraged and to be joy drainers in our lives, right? But here's here's the great news. Jesus says, there's a joy that comes from beyond you that flows into you. That's the joy. And here's what Jesus says. That's how your joy is complete. What I hear Jesus saying there is, hey, Simpson, whatever you've settled for in other kinds of joy, it's less than what I'm offering you here. Gospel joy is received. Advent joy is a gift. You don't accomplish it. You don't manufacture it. You don't achieve it. You don't try to work at all the ingredients of your life to get it in such a way that you experience a level of joy and happiness. There's something that transcends all of that. Jesus says, my joy will be in you. How amazing is that? And that your joy will then be complete by his joy being in us. It was Tim Keller. He's a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church out in New York City. Many of you have read his books. I commend him to you. He's a great writer, a great pastor. Um, Tim Keller tells the story of buying a home. He and his wife are buying, I think, one of their first homes in Philadelphia area. It was built on a large, steep hill. And he said the first summer they were in the home, he had a basement in the house. He said the first summer they were there was exceptionally hot, exceptionally dry, but every time he went to the basement, he noticed that the basement was kind of another level of cool and fresh feeling in the basement. And he said he'd been in a lot of basements before, and of course basements are cooler than the other parts of the home. But he said this was a different level of, like when I went down to the basement, it was just really cool, and it just had a sense of freshness about it, even when outside was smoking hot and it was drought and all of that was going on. So he finally starts asking some of the longtime neighbors about his house and saying, hey, there's something going off my basement. I don't know how to quite put this together. And one of the neighbors said to him, said, hey, Tim, here's what you need to know about your house. There's a fresh stream of water flowing under the foundation of your home. So no matter what's going on outside, as dry or as hot as it is outside, guess what your basement's got? It's got like catered, fresh and cool air, 24-7, 365. When I heard that, I thought, that's what Jesus is saying in John 15 about joy. He's saying, hey, picture this. Joy is the climate that's being experienced in the Keller's basement in Philadelphia. That's joy. As a result of a stream of living water that's flowing under the foundation of our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? Joy isn't the stream. 
joy is a byproduct of the stream that's flowing under the foundation. See, if you just put your phone, joy is not the, the action, joy is not what you're experiencing. You're experiencing the flow, the fullness of the spirit and the flow, fullness of the life of living water in you. Guess what brings? A byproduct of that is joy. That's gospel joy. That's Advent joy. That's Jesus joy. That's circumstance independent joy. That's joy that can find you in your deepest valleys and darkest days. That's what James 1 is referring to, right? Everybody gets so irritated by the text James 1, which I do too at times, when he says, count it all what? Pure joy, my brothers, when you endure trials of many kinds. You're like, James, I don't know what you were reading that day, but I don't get that. But here's what Jesus says, hey, yeah, if you're just gonna focus on your circumstances, you got no shot at pure joy in your trials. But if there's a stream of living water flowing under the foundation of your life when it's hot and dry and drought-like and wilderness light all around your life, guess what can stay cool and fresh in your soul? My joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. That's circumstance independent. Man, I want that. Anybody need some more of that in their life today? That's what this season can be. That's what this week of Advent is about. It says, hey, Church of Jesus, get locked in on what? On Jesus joy, on Advent joy, on gospel joy that you receive as a gift. You don't have to work hard at achieving it. You simply receive it. And you let that stream of living water flow under the foundation of life. And the byproduct of that is, should be a countenance of gladness and joy. I happen to believe that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, I happen to believe is the most joyful community to ever live. The loving laughter going on in the community of the Godhead, I think it will deafen all the NFL stadiums this afternoon for football season. It's gonna be louder than Lucas Oil Stadium this afternoon as they gather. The joyful community, the loving laughter of the Trinity why? How can that be? Because God, because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there's a countenance of gladness on Jesus' face when he walked the earth. I just see it. Can't you see it when you read the scriptures? I think Jesus had one of those laughs that was just like a contagious kind of laugh. Those laughs when you enjoy being around people that had that certain kind of laugh. I think Jesus had that kind of laughter about him. I think he had a, a radiance of glow, of gladness about his face. And how could he do it no matter what was going on? When uh, Peter denied him, when Judas betrayed him, when the crowds chanted, crucify him, when the Roman soldiers came to flog him, how is it that he could maintain this atmosphere of joyfulness and gladness of heart? Because he knew what? He knew that he and the father were one, and his father was a good, good father. And his father was always at work to accomplish purposes that always had his best in mind. He knew that no matter how dark these days got, no matter how deep this valley got, it's like the old hymn that was up on the screen before service, right? This is my father's world, right? You guys know that hymn? How about this line out of that hymn says, this is my father's world, let me never forget that though the wrong seemed off so strong, he is, God is the ruler yet. See, Jesus had a vision for life lived with the goodness of this father that was like a stream of living water that flowed under the foundation of his life. And it gave him a pervasive sense of well-being that was independent of circumstance. That's how Dallas Willard 
to find joy. Did you see that in your notes? I put that in there. Dallas says, joy is not pleasure, a mere sensation, but a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Hope in the goodness of God is joy's indispensable support. That's what Jesus had. When they're whipping him, when they're nailing him, when they're mocking him, when they're denying him, what kind of joy? He had hope in the goodness of God and it was indispensable as that stream of living water that was flowing from within him. And then he says, now you come to me. And isn't that beautiful? In John chapter seven, he says, what? Streams of living water will flow from within you by the power of the spirit. You don't have to manufacture that. You don't have to work yourself up into some kind of joyful posture. This isn't a denial of circumstances. This is a joy that transcends whatever circumstances you find yourself in. This is what James 1, I think, was talking about, which flows into my second reflection here on joy, on Advent joy. The first is joy is received, not achieved. And secondly, the pathway to joy is found in a wholehearted pursuit of God. I want you to stay with me here. The tendency with the subject of joy is to make the pursuit of joy the focus. If you're really looking for joy, you don't go pursuing joy with all you got. You go pursuing God with all you've got, and then joy gets thrown into the equation. Are you with me? This is called the order of joy. I want you to think about the order of joy. There's this knowing aspect that you know God is a good God. There's this seeing aspect that you see God is with you. Did you hear that at Travis and Hannah? They knew God was with them. They knew God was a good God. There was this loving aspect. They love the fact that God is with them even when it's hard and they're seeing God's goodness displayed even when it's hard and there's a loving his presence in the midst of that going on. And you know what the outflow of all that is joy. So there's the seeing Knowing, loving, enjoying, that's the sequence. Seeing, loving, knowing, enjoying, that's the order of joy. It's what Jesus is actually telling them in the next chapter. I think I put it in your notes for you. John 16, here's what Jesus is telling his followers. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And then 1622, now is your time of grief. What's the time of grief about? You're not gonna see me anymore. They're gonna be shedding tears. It's gonna be really hard. They're gonna put him on the cross. They're gonna put him in the tomb. It's gonna be dark. You're gonna be crying. But what's he say? But I will see you again and you will, how about that? Rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Do you see the seeing, knowing, loving, enjoying? Do you see that? This is what David brings up in Psalm 16. Listen how David put it this way. David says, Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Wasn't that a great statement from David? I set the Lord always before me. And then what's a byproduct of that? Look, verse 11. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Do you see the seeing, knowing, loving, and then the enjoying? Do you see the order of joy there? So personally for me, the past 30 days or so has been kind of a battle through, struggling through typical kind of year-end wrestling in prayer over our budget situation and shortfall with funding and all those things. And I wish I could say to you that I immediately hit James 1 and I immediately was counting it all pure joy 
for the struggles of the gap in finances and kind of the struggle, just feeling the weight of it all. And I was focused in my praying about it. I was focused on $330,000 is what needs to come in between now and the end of the year. I was focused on $159,000 worth short and all. I was focused on those things. And I tell you, when I would leave prayer times focused on all those things, it's like the weightiness of it all. It really didn't lift much. But as I began to study and prep for this message a couple of weeks ago, here's what began to shift in my heart, where God's saying to me, hey, Simpson, get your focus off of just the circumstances and the issues you're in and lift your eyes up to the God who sits enthroned over all these circumstances. And remember who you're talking to. That God says, I own the world and everything in it. And God says, I've been with you as a body for 24 years. Have I not demonstrated my faithfulness to you year after year after year? Have I not shown you and taken your breath away in ways I provided for you before? Simpson, lift your eyes up. Remember, I'm with you. Trust me. I'm for you. I'm able. Well, that was a lot more encouraging way to pray. And guess what? When I was done praying at the end of those prayers, guess what wasn't any different? When I walked into Ruth's office, our accountant, to get an update on where we are, the circumstances hadn't changed a whole lot. But what was different? Me. My perspective my attitude. There's a stream of living water that's flowing under the foundation of our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what he says? Hey, my joy can be in you, regardless of whatever these numbers can say. It doesn't have to drain away all Advent joy, just because typically in church world, the month of December is a fairly stressful time, like many not-for-profit organizations. Year-end typically is a challenging time. But here's what I think the challenge for me personally has been. It's been the seeing, knowing, loving, enjoying. Seeing it for what it is. I'm not sticking my head in the sand and not praying over it, not talking to you about it and keeping you informed. Of course we are. Knowing, but here's what I know. No, God is with us. He's not abandoned us. And guess what I'm enjoying? I'm enjoying the fact that his presence is with me. You know, God enjoys all these hours I've spent kind of wrestling in prayer with him over it. Guess what he enjoys? He loves that time with us when we have those times where we don't see how we're gonna get through what we're going through and we're on our knees and we're calling, he loves that time with us. I'm just choosing to love and embrace the time with him and the net result is I think there's a little bit more of a countenance of joy in the midst of circumstances that seem to remain pretty much the same. And this is what I think when I see Daniel Steele, not to be confused with the modern day Daniel Steele, let's be clear here, Daniel Steele, Methodist preacher in England in the 1800s. That's why I put his years of birth and death in your notes for you. You don't get confused there. So here's what he said. And I was really challenged when I read this paragraph. That's why I put it in your notes. because I think it might be something we need to cut out and paste somewhere in our own homes. Almost every week and sometimes almost every day, the pressure of his great love comes down on my heart in such measure as to make my whole being, soul and body, hear this, groan beneath the strain of the almost unsupportable plethora of joy. He has unlocked every apartment of my being and filled and flooded them all with the light of his radiant presence, Jesus, the one altogether lovely. That's a man who's internalized in John 15, 11. 
That's a man who said, hey, I'm, I'm holding on to a joy. Jesus says, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. That sounds to me like a completeness of joy. Independent of circumstance. So first reflection is joy is achieved, not received. Second reflection is the way, the pathway to really experience more joy in our life is not to go looking for joy, it's to be wholehearted pursuit of God. The order of joy is seeing, knowing, loving him with us in the journey and then joy comes along like the atmosphere of the basement from which the stream of living water is the one that really produces the cool and fresh air. So practically, let's get this real practical for the week ahead here. Practically, here's our part in the equation. Our part in the equation is to see how often we can direct our thoughts and minds and hearts towards God through our everyday. That's practically our part in this. Like, no one really forces you to think certain thoughts. You know, you're, you have most freedom over what you set your mind to. You have more freedom there, which, by the way, is a good indication of character. You want a real indication of character is to track where someone is setting their mind because they have the most freedom on where they direct their thoughts. There's a lot of the things that might, your body might be dictated with work and all these other things, but your thoughts are pretty much at your own command of. So here's why the scripture says over and over again, set your mind on things above, where David says, I have set the Lord always before me. So the challenge is this, to see how in the midst of our everydayness, even if our everydayness is dark and difficult, or everydayness might be mountaintop, or everydayness might be mundane routineness. Maybe that's your everydayness. It's just same thing every day over and over again. Whatever sequence that is, can we be the kind of people who set our mind on things above? Who set the Lord always before us? Who lift up our thoughts to his character? That he is with us, that he loves us, that he's a good shepherd, that he's a God of hope and joy and peace and love, that we set our minds on those things. And what that does is it draws in, it taps into that stream of living water that's flowing under the foundation of your life. And that's our part of it. And then we trust him by the power of the Holy Spirit. He begins to kind of breathe a sense of hope and joy and peace that he promises to bring with his presence. So here's the assignment for the week ahead. I think I put it in your notes to unpack it practically. It's what Tozer calls the inward habit of beholding God. You heard that phrase before? The inward habit of beholding God. Let's see if we can grow that during this Advent season. Let's see if we can grow the inward habit of beholding God all through our day. When we wake up, as we're getting ready for the morning, when we're headed into the important meeting, when we're cooking mac cheese for the kids, when we're, whatever we're doing in life, the inward habit of beholding God. Which, by the way, is why corporate worship times are so important. Do you notice something, hopefully, that you experience after leaving a time of corporate worship together as a body? Do you notice at least for, be nice to me, at least for like the hour or so after you leave, there's a sense of kind of a heightened awareness of just God's goodness and that God's with us and there's, there's power in the name of Jesus and there's hope to press into another week. Isn't there something about that? Three or four heads nodding is real, but yes, right? Like, yes, there's something about when we gather together, and that's why it's important that we get together. And God says, don't forget to meet together. 
And when you get together in your life groups, that happens. And when you open the word and you have some time of prayer and you get in the scriptures, all of that, what works the muscles of the inward habit of beholding God. So when you get to that 11 o'clock meeting on Thursday and everything is unraveling, what are you going to be focused on right there? Someone who follows Jesus might be able to lift their eyes up off the circumstances, tap into the stream of living water running under the foundation of their life, and in the midst of all that chaos and all that mess, represent him really well. That's what I think he's getting at. So this week, we're going to memorize together Psalm 118, 6 and 7. It says, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. The Lord is with me, he is my helper. Let's say that together, ready? The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. The Lord is with me. He is my helper. We can memorize that, can we not? I think you can memorize that by the time you walk out the door right now. So memorize that. Second step. As often as possible, challenge yourself. How often can you bring that to the forefront of your mind all week long? Tonight, when you're tucking the kids in or you're kind of looking at the week ahead, how about whispering that? The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. The Lord is with me. He is my helper. How about just when you get up tomorrow, when you're pressing through your week, when you're going through whether it's a really challenging time, whether you're having breakthrough times, whether it's everything in between, that we just work that over and over again. So that's second step. And then the third part of the assignment, talk to somebody about it. One conversation with someone about how the experience has been. So maybe towards the tail end of the week, just have a conversation with someone. Talk about what's been helpful, what's been challenging, maybe the ways God showed up in that. And I think what might, as we put kind of Jesus on the spot with all this, say, hey, Jesus, as we do this, guess what he promises to bring? He says, hey, I tell you all this so that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be complete. Guess what could happen over the next seven days? If there's been a struggling with joyfulness at any level, guess what could happen? That stream of living water, right? You could tap into that, and there could be a radiance, a glowing gladness upon your face that begins to be pumped out, independent of circumstances. Guess what might remain the same? I can almost guarantee what probably will remain the same is some of the circumstances. Why? Because God doesn't want us to be dependent on just changing the dynamics around us. He wants us to see, right, my stream's sufficient. No matter what's going on in your life, right, this is a joy transcends what's going on. And then hallelujah when circumstances change. It just gives us all the more reason to rejoice. That's a good thing when those things happen. But my point is, my joy shouldn't be like this, right? It shouldn't be like teenage moodiness thing going on here, right? When you're just like, what is up with this? And it's usually tied to circumstance versus tied into that stream flowing under the foundation of our lives. Because joy is received. That's gospel joy. That's Advent joy. That's Jesus joy. Receive it. Get off the bandwagon of trying to achieve it. We can't manufacture that. Just abandon that. Receive it. And then put your wholehearted pursuit into following God with all you've got. The inward habit of beholding him. Work these muscles of setting the Lord always before me. And see if there's not a pervasive sense of well-being that starts getting trickled all around your interior life. Let's pray together. Lord, I know with a subject like this, there is a whole spectrum of practical experiences. There's some in the room that have been shedding tears in some dark valleys 
some of the most difficult holiday season they've ever been through. And I pray right now by the power of the Spirit, there would be a breathing in of joyfulness that would transcend it. That there would be a, that stream of living water would pulsate something fresh. God, I pray this week that you would help us work the muscles of setting our minds on things above. And that we would experience John 15, 11 practically in our lives. Thank you for this amazing sentence, Jesus, that you would say, hey, I told you all this so that my joy would be in you and your joy would be complete. Make that a living reality in this community of faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.